Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is Dr. Marie Witt, who returns to the show for her first season two appearance. Dr. Witt is a sports physical therapist, and she'll tell you a bit about herself in the episode as well. And we've had her on before to talk about cross training and talk about feet, foot pain, pronation. Today, we're talking specifically about shin splints, Marie's job in a sports rehab physical therapy clinic. She sees athletes all day long, and she says it's shin splint season. And as a coach and what I'm seeing, I am inclined to agree. So there are a lot of kind of misconceptions or misunderstandings about what shin splints are and how to treat them. And while your physical therapist may treat shin splints differently, what Marie has found in her practice is to treat shin splints in a very specific way. And we're going to go through all of that in this episode, including specific exercise progressions to help you rehab shin splints if you currently have them. So do not despair. We have answers. If you have shin splints, all you have to do is listen. Dr. Marie Witt, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It is such an honor to be here. As always, we have such a great time. We do. My first three-peat guest, you have been on the show twice before. We had a discussion, a great discussion about cross-training, which I actually mm-hmm. referenced. I've been referencing a lot recently and said Thank to you. people. And we had a discussion about pronation and feet and shoes and kind of lowered leg stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are diving back today into the lower legs, but we are being really, really ultra specific in our conversation today. We are going to talk about shin splints. Go ahead and briefly, for those of people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about who you are and why that we are talking to you about shin splints and why you see them so much. Yes. So I am a doctor of physical therapy. I graduated from University of Michigan. Go blue always go blue. And I am currently practicing in a sports rehab and performance clinic. So obviously I am licensed. I do this on the side also. But the reason why we're focusing on shin splints is because of what I'm seeing in the clinic. So whatever I see in the clinic, I then bring to you guys. Okay. And right now it is shin splint season. So the Oprah meme or you get shin splints and you get shin splints. Yeah, that's, that's where we're at. Okay. So mostly I'm seeing high schoolers, not all high schoolers, but because it's track season, everyone wants to run fast. Everyone does too much. So I see that. But I also realize, and Elizabeth and I were talking before, that people are also prepping for half marathons or marathons, just longer distances, right? And so you're starting to build up that phase, maybe getting some workouts early on, and and things are changing. And then Sadash and Splunts. So what I'm doing is I want to bring everything I know some that I don't know, right? Because you'll find out we don't know a lot of things. We don't know a lot of things. I'm going to bring all that to you today. So it's interesting that you say you see a lot of, uh, you know, high schoolers and, and mm-hmm. teenage athletes. And having been a teenager with sports-related shin splints yeah. myself, and now being an adult who I had shin splints when I started running, um, first started running, it's one of those things, the underreported statistics like, I guarantee you that there's so many more adults out there you're not seeing who have shin splints who are trying to treat it on their own or Googled it or trying home remedies or like, I'll just ice it. Maybe it'll go away or I'll wear compression socks and maybe it'll go away or I'll do inserts thing that I heard about here and maybe it'll go away. Um, and so break it down for us. We're going to start at the very beginning. And I want to first, first of all, let's describe the symptoms of shin splints, right? Because there are a lot of injuries that can look like each other. If you're not quite sure what you're talking about, you're like, I don't know, maybe this is shin splints. And you point to the back of your calf. That's probably not shin splints. What are the classic symptoms of shin splints? And you just like waggled your hand. You're like, actually, maybe it is shin splints. Well, because the more you read about it, the more you find out what is this monstrosity. Okay. But classic person comes into my clinic. Okay. They are typically going to have this. It could be anywhere from a dull ache that is truly right on their front of their shin bone, or it can be on the, I can't point to my foot because you're on the podcast, right? You're listening to us, but it could be on the inside, right above that ankle bone, you know, the bump that's on the inside of your, of your ankle. 
It could be up through there. It could be a little bit higher. It could wrap around to the front. And the funky thing about shin splints is it can beep bop around. So one day it might be up higher, then it might be lower, then it might kind of settle in one area. And then another research article I actually uh, shared with you last summer talked about a different kind of stress syndrome that can be on the back of the calf. That's why I waggled my hands. And I was like, eh. So basically, if it's kind of nebulous and vague, it could actually be shin splints. And I realized that it's completely not helpful. There's going to be a lot of things we talk about that the research says it could be this, but it's not helpful. Something that is helpful, though, symptom-wise. Typically, shin splints will feel like a dull ache that might grow to a more persistent ache in those spots I talked about and could possibly become um, a sharp ache or a sharp stabbing. So does that kind of answer the question as vague as that was? Yeah. I mean, and that okay. lines up with what my experience yeah. with shin splints has been, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of the, the front inside of the shin bone. Like if you, anybody grew up playing soccer, if you think about oh, where, yeah. if you wear shin guards, mm-hmm. kind of where like the edge of your, the inside edge of your shin guard is like, mm-hmm. that's kind of where shin splints might show up. And, um, when I was younger, I, so let me tell you my experience with shin splints. Um, I got shin splints and kind of like where, where my, weird teenage brain made the connection when I was 29 and got shin splints again after over a decade and like why I then treated them the way that I did. So short story here. Um, I grew up playing sports. I, I played, I very poorly played soccer, uh, and lacrosse. So I had two field sports and then I also swam and I, and I skied. So, but after in a summer of relative inactivity, you know, show up for JV soccer practice, hadn't run all summer. Boom. I always got shin splints. I thought I, it was because I had very high arches, right? In my head, mm-hmm. the pain I was feeling, I was like, well, the pain is on my lower leg above my arch. I have high arches. Maybe it's because my arches like collapsed. So I thought must support arch to correction splints. So I got insoles into my cleats and of course they went away, but that's because I'd actually just conditioned, right? Like after a couple yeah. of weeks, I just had conditioned myself. Luckily never had serious injuries. So fast forward several couple years, long time, um, new runner, age 29, super excited, signed up for my very first race. Got to get out there. Boom. Shin splints. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Must be my super high arches. To be fair, I was also running in like, you know, we could talk about Nike freeze, not running shoes. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Not running shoes at all, but Oh, must be my high arches. Um, went away after a couple weeks. Anyway. So long story short, that was my experience. Uh, my, for, until I actually learned more, I thought, ah, my shin splints must be caused by my high arches. If I support my arch, my shin splints will go away. Just get, it's one of those things where it's like they're correlated, but it's not causal. <laughs> oh my gosh. We can have an entire different podcast about how correlation and causation are not the same thing. Right. Two things different happened time. at the same different time. Story. Does not mean they're <laughs> causally related. One did not cause the other. Right. So when I, I tell that story to illustrate the point that like shin splints are, are very, very common and yeah. new runners are more likely to experience them. Although any runner can experience them at any time from a clinical definition though, what, what, what did I do wrong? Mm. You know what I would do is I would test you for a muscle imbalance. Even for how, how you treat a 15-year-old in PT, especially the sports movement background that I have, will be different than how you treat an adult with splints. Similar, but a little bit different. Um, it'd be very interesting treating your 15-year-old self because you have this amazing sports background I didn't know about. You have all these different... Yeah, no, that's, she's, she's saying no, but it's actually true. When you are a more diverse athlete, this is where you go back and listen to the cross-training episode we did eons ago. The more movement variety you have, the healthier your body is. That is the very, very Cliff Notes version of that podcast. So with a young runner, it's more about, or a young athlete like that, it's more about movement variety that you're doing too much with your feet, which we'll get to, it's a precursor, versus with a older runner, you still might be overusing your feet more but I might be able to focus a little bit more on that true muscle imbalance rather than movement. So yes, even if you were coming into my clinic at 15 year old, 15 years old, excuse me, you would still have shin splints. And we'd work on getting rid of those by some exercises, working on maybe your feet, but maybe mostly your glutes. 
that's a little teaser for later. But does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, and because I and I, I did what I think a lot of people do is that I kind of powered through them and they went away. Yeah, and that's why I think a lot of people delay getting treatment for running injuries so long is because most most people have had a little something here and there pop up and they ignored it mm-hmm. and it went away. And so the next time something pops up, they ignore it or power through it thinking, well, last time it went away. And if I just keep going, this will go away too. And no, I mean, yes, there are. Yeah, it can. Yeah. You, you will probably get lucky. And there, there are some things that may pop up and then they go away. Yeah. Um, I had another physical therapist on talk about, yeah, it never actually goes away though. Like very few injuries just disappear on their own. They just kind of get um, Mm -hmm. accommodated or compensated or transferred in your body. But, uh, and that's, I'm sure we're going to talk about that. No, 100%. (laughs) Yes. That is, that is exactly what happens with shin splints. So no, perfect segue. Actually, let's talk about the technical definition, right? If you were to type up your notes um, and, and you had to submit a diagnosis, would it be shin splints or would it be something else? Okay. So it, this is such a good question for insurance. Of course you put in shin pain left or right. Okay. Cause we like to get paid. We don't want patients to pay yada, yada, yada. Okay. If I'm putting it in my note though, I am saying something like, uh, Patient demonstrates with effective sagittal movement pattern with overuse of bilateral feet and underuse of their glutes because of a weak left pole and a poor use of contralateral right glute. Okay, that was a bunch of gobbledygook. But what I'm doing with that movement diagnosis is I am honing in on, yes, you have pain here. This is real. This exists. But this is simply a compensation for what is happening further up the chain. And whenever I say further up the chain, I mean, think of the joint and muscles above. Okay. So does that kind of make sense when I, when I say chain? I mean, yes. Yeah. You can talk about the kinetic chain, okay. but if you okay. think about your body Correct. as like I say, imagine your body as a puppet, like you're a marionette. You pull on mm-hmm. one string and a bunch of things move. Beautiful. Yes. So that is the diagnosis I am giving as a PT. Now, if we talk about the pathophysiology real quick, typically people see shin splints as a inflammation of the periosteum of the tibia. Okay. That has been the bone injury. Old standard. <laughs> yeah. Correct. We're going to talk about that. Okay. We're talking about that. Okay. So the periosteum, so, is the periosteum, periosteum that's the, that's like the surface of the bone, right? It is, yeah. So every organ in our body has like multiple layers of saran wrap. That's how I think about it. Okay. And sometimes those layers of saran wrap are part of the organ. Other times they're just layers of fascia that are there to protect and keep everything in place. It's usually a nice thing, right? You don't want things moving, okay? So, but the periosteum, like Elizabeth said, is actually part of the bone. The periosteum also has several different types of bone cells in it, okay? So when this bone injury happens to this layer of bone, it is typically responsible for healing the bone kind of in a bad spot. Okay. So that is the typical definition of it. However, this is the part where we get into, I don't know anything because the more literature I've read from 2018 through now through 2022, the more we don't know about shin splints. I kid you not. Okay. For every article that says, this is the reason there's another article that says, no, it's not. It's this. Okay. Just, but I did find one new definition that it's a tad wordy, but if you guys will hang in there work with me, this ties back into that movement diagnosis I was talking about, okay? And this definition states that shin splints or um, medial tibial stress syndrome, if you're going to be uber fancy, okay? It's multifactorial, which we just talked about, okay? Is it the bone? Is it the joint? Is it muscles? Is it the way you're moving, Right? It's a spectrum of injuries that include muscle imbalance. I've talked about that before. And when there's a muscle imbalance, it results in abnormal tibial loading, which is that leg bone, right? That tibia bone is doing too much work. It's not supposed to do that much work, but somebody else up the chain isn't doing it, okay? This muscle imbalance, this abnormal load are resulting in chronic repeated stress, which is shin splints. Right. Does that kind of wrap everything up and kind of bring us around full circle? Yes. And for everybody who's looking for a really clean, clear black and white definition, 
most injuries are not that, and especially this one. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it's it's not unfortunate that it's termed this way because the shins are the part of your body, but I think a lot of people think of shin splints as being they have trouble connecting the fact that shin splints are inflammation if it's bone related, because I think a lot of people think of the Mm -hmm. bones that we have our skeletal system as kind of being just, it's there and the muscles connect and the muscles move and we have blood vessels, but like our bones are just there. And if you, you have to, in order to break one, you have to apply extreme force. Like you you fall and break your arm, but our bones are alive and they're kind of malleable and they 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 do a lot of work for us that over time, it's one of those repetition injuries where inflammation of your mm-hmm. bone can result. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, you're right. We have to remember that our bones are a living tissue. For some reason, we think of them as rocks. I don't know why that, that comes to mind, but like, you just think it's there it holds you up, but it is a living tissue that has to repair itself and supply structure to your body and tolerate this pulling and pushing as you move your muscles every freaking day right? It does a lot of work. So we forget that we can actually harm our bones. But it's a thing. So when people ask me the most obvious cause or the most common cause of shin splints for me as a, as a running coach and as my really, okay, let's the simplest answer here. The most common cause of shin splints that I see are people increasing their running volume too rapidly and or under recovering. And then I say, and I tag on the little asterisks and I say, but there are a lot of other things that can make you more or less susceptible to experiencing shin splints. <laughs> Cause there are some people out there who thought mm-hmm. who are probably thinking right now, well, I went from five to 50 miles a week in six months and I have never experienced shin splints. I'm like, well, you're really lucky then, honestly, like good for you. It's good for you. Seriously, <laughs> like take with that, literally run with it. Hope yes. you never get shin splints. And then there are some other people thinking every time I try to go from 10 to 12 miles per week, I get shin splints. Like that's crazy. And I do how I'm not increasing too rapidly. I'm increasing so slowly and yet I still get them where, so Mm -hmm. let's start with that kind of most obvious cause. And the thing is, it's, it's really hard to define what is too much too soon because it's so dependent on the runner, or I guess this is a running podcast, but other people who get shin splints are like gymnasts and people who jump around a lot and those high dying dancers, dancers, those high impact are always landing on your feet and, you know, types of injuries. Mm -hmm. That's why I kind of categorize things into the old answers, the new answers, and the Dr. Whitfit answers, okay? So we'll try to make this as succinct as possible. Um, but those old answers that Elizabeth was talking about were mileage. This is true. Doing too much too soon, it's a bad day, which can also mean increased intensity, which means hills and or speed work, okay? A lot of people associate right away with mileage. It might not be that. It might be intensity, okay? Running on hard surfaces also increases that high impact we talked about, increasing intensity, okay? Um, I wanted to be a average runner. I wanted to plug into Google, what gives me shin splints? Apparently, we think the wrong shoes can give us shin splints. I didn't think about it that way, but that could be a thing. Previous ankle issues, even poor running form, or pre-existing or history of foot injuries, okay? There's all that. Newer answers ties back into Elizabeth's story of her feet and her high arches. It's actually the opposite of a high arch. It's actually a increased or excessive foot pronation. Go listen to the foot podcast we did. We talk about pronation in depth and how it's actually a good thing and a necessary thing for your foot. Okay. You'll learn about how my right foot is a pancake foot and it is the culprit of all my problems. Go check that out. Okay. Um, But what new research has found is that that excessive pronation that's kind of beyond the realm of healthy, um, they found with EMG studies that it can result in higher soleus activity and possibly higher anterior tibialis activity, which maybe, I'm saying in air quotes, may be the cause of shin splints, okay? We are very just, we're just grazing over things, okay? We could spend hours here. Another reason could be, is that there is a decreased um, endurance capacity or endurance strength in your lateral gastroc, which is the outside muscle of your calf. You can actually grab it with your hand, right? That's your lateral gastroc, okay? So those are great and all, but when we get down to the, the muscle imbalance part that really plugs into what Elizabeth said leading up to this question, is runners, especially 
older runners can be getting shin splints because their feet are doing too much. Okay, you actually are ending up overusing your feet because we kind of touched on before how we hone in on this very specific itty bitty spot. This hurts. My shin hurts. And I say, yes, it does. But when I test the rest of your body, that's actually freaking strong. You're on your feet for how many hours a day running? Okay. Um, so something else has got to be going on. So what I'm finding is, is that multifactorial aspect, that muscle imbalance, that abnormal tibial loading, this overuse of a certain muscle group, aka our shins, our feet, and an underuse of a different muscle group. And we'll see if Elizabeth wants to dive more into this, but I'll preface this part with this is everything I'm telling you about my clinic experience is informed or is Yes, is informed, is performed through the lens of the research. Okay. It is science driven, it is literature driven. Um, but it also comes from the practical clinical experience of just diving into a patient case and figuring out what is this specific runner need for me today? How do I treat them as an individual? And so those are the tips and tricks that I've condensed and that I'm sharing. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So the great thing about what you've just said is that unlike the uh um a runner is saying so if i get shin splints i just supposed to what and rest i rest until they're gone and then maybe they'll come back and you're saying actually the reason you're getting shin splints probably stems from several different factors that may have collided together at an unfortunate time and now you end up with this very specific injury however there are steps you can take once you have addressed the acute inflammation you can then start to take steps do exercises do corrections do assessments to make it far less likely that it will happen in the future. Tying back onto that, running with inflamed tissue, I've had to almost allow a little more wiggle room with running with shin splints because, and this is only because I read that article that I sent to you last summer, where they were actually allowing runners to run with very mild symptoms. As long as it didn't, I think, pass a four out of 10 pain scale, there will be no, pe- no pain, 10, you have to go to the ER. As long as you weren't more than a four out of 10, they're like, okay, but once you hit that spot, you are done. You were done. You, you rein it back in, you sit down, we're done, okay? And so it's, it's about loading a tissue correctly and not too much. And that's where the PT aspect really comes into play. Let's talk a little bit about how our bones strengthen themselves to begin with, because mm-hmm. part of high impact sport is that our bones actually do over time remodel to become denser and thicker and stronger. But like everything that we do, we have to stress and then recover, right? So do a little bit, let it recover, do a little bit, let it recover. Um, Cause if you do a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, all you're doing is, you know, loading an already stressed tissue and our bones mm-hmm. are amazing and they can do unbelievable. They can really heal cool. themselves. But if you've ever broken anything, you know, it takes weeks or months for that to happen. Um, give us a quick mm-hmm. primer on like what we want to have happen when we are increasing our bone strength density, all the good things that happen when we do it correctly. Okay. So very brief recap, because this is a whole chapter in an anatomy book on how bones heal. But, okay, so if you are lifting weights, okay, we know when you're lifting weights for muscles, there are actually small tears that are occurring in the muscle, and you get stronger when they repair. For bones, they are actually healing with the impact. So the load from the muscle, so if you're back squatting, it's that load from the muscle, having to tolerate that, come back up, control that motion, come back down, okay? When you are running, another form of high impact, okay? Not all impact is bad for bones. But when you add too much impact for a freshly healing bone, like it can take up to eight weeks to fully heal. Like I have a fusion, but that doesn't mean they are just like the other bone on the other side of your body. Okay. It takes time and the correct 
gradual progressive buildup of load, whether that looks like lifting weights or increasing the running distance you're doing. It's the fact that this load is medicine and is specific to your bone at the correct time with the correct amount that results in that tissue being able to knit itself back together in order to do everything you want to do in the future without any issues. And I'm sure I was thinking, okay, that's really cool, but I have shin splints now. What do I do about that? (laughs) I'm sorry. We're like 25 minutes in and you're like, okay, but just tell me how to fix my freaking shin splints. Um, (laughs) Okay. Okay. I will. Okay. So let's say, and I do want to talk about more of the assessment because I'm already hearing in my head, how do I assess if I am weak or, you know, imbalanced in one area versus the other? How do I know what the right things are for me to do to strengthen my body in the future? But let's start very simply. And if you have a runner come into your clinic and they say, and I'm thinking in the experience that I've seen with runners, I'm going to tell you what my, my amalgam of, of runners is. So I've been experiencing, you know, kind of mild shin splints and they've been okay, but it starts to get worse on my longer runs. So I took a couple of days off and I, they got better, but now I just went on my long run yesterday and like, it's really bad. And now it's sore even when I walk or when I'm resting, um, help. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's when you book an appointment with me and we take care of it in the clinic. Okay. Like that is my hard and fast rule. If it is a four plus or greater and it is lingering, it is, it is time. It is time to take a break, take care of yourself. Yes. I realize you're going to have to stop doing your long runs. You're going to have to give me a little bit of time, a little bit of rest in the clinic, but, but in the clinic, we'll have the opportunity to make you stronger. Okay. But in the meantime, and I'm actually, I'm going to throw this in here now. I am developing a way to work with me one-on-one to kind of figure out this lower grade um, shin splints case. Because just like you were saying, like you have some runners that it just kind of, it's here and there. It's not real consistent, but it pops up once in a while. And it's it's before that threshold of you really need to get it taken care of in the clinic. So I just, I want... I see that resource missing and I want to be able to supply that for runners in our community. And that I'm really excited about that. I mean, I know there are a lot of physical therapists practicing online and offering virtual services, but I know that a lot of runners have like, they don't feel like they need full PT. Like they just need a little bit of PT and getting that barrier to access to lower, I think is awesome. So I'm very excited that you're working on something like that. Cause I think that the more runners we get help that they need, the better. Um, but let's say that this, this hypothetical runner is actually wants to go in and make an appointment. I get the next available appointment with you and maybe it's two days from now. And I ask you in the next two days, what should I do before I see you? Okay. So I will be having a circuit on my blog. It will be available in reels. If not at the time this podcast is released, at least around the time of it. Okay. So let's say we had that situation. I would say, you know what? You, I need you to take some days off from running. Okay. It's it's two days before you see me. Just hang out, chill out. If you have to move, I get it. Choose a cross training method that is not painful or does not make your symptoms go higher than that four out of 10 that we talked about. Okay. We are definitely in the acute phase. You've got to let it heal. In the meantime, this is where we start getting to the crazy Dr. Whitfit. I say voodoo. I guess like voodoo exercises, okay, that are really neuromuscular control exercises, okay. I'm going to have you do this circuit of exercises that take your feet out of the equation, okay. Because I've talked about before that muscle imbalance, that soleus is doing too much, that lateral gastroc's not doing enough. Why? We follow it up the chain, that kinetic chain. We are usually finding that that big player, for instance, the glutes, they're not pulling their weight. I don't know why. I should know why. We'll find out when you come in the clinic and I see you. But in the meantime, I can pretty fairly guess that that's not working. Your core is not working together. So I'm going to give you a series of exercises to do that have you kneeling. Okay? You're kneeling on both knees. And if you've looked up what a halo is, you can't see me because it's not a podcast. But um, if you'll see it on my blog. But if you want to Google it now, if you can't wait, you can Google what a halo is in tall kneeling, okay? And you're gonna go clockwise, and you're gonna go counterclockwise. And please go at least eight times in each direction, okay? We're getting real specific here, okay? Because what this exercise is doing, 
is you're going to find you might be a, um, you're going to wobble all over the place. You're going to find that you want to actually grip the ground with your toes. Okay, what you have to do when you're kneeling is you're going to have to look behind you and see if your toes are actually propped up trying to grip the floor. Okay, you will have to flatten your feet. What you will find is you might actually fall forward. Okay, because your toes are, with your toes flat, you are decreasing your base of support, your ability to hold yourself up. Okay, now for funsies, you can then do the same halo exercise, but standing, and it is going to be freaking easy for you. You are not going to have a problem. You could do this all day. Okay, but a moment I put you on your knees, your feet can no longer do the work for you. You now have to have your posterior chain. You have to have your glutes and your hamstrings and your core stabilize through this rotational exercise. Your core now has to work in this anti-rotation capacity while your glutes provide this base stability. So very first steps are saying stop running just for a couple days, yeah. just for a couple yeah. days. It's really that hard. Stop running. You got to, if you have to, if you're going to crawl out of your skin, if you don't get your sweat on, do something that at least doesn't cause that same level of discomfort mm-hmm. as running would, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you hop on the bike yep. and then do this crazy halo. So it almost sounds like a, you are, you are doing some, it's like an assessment, right? Mm-hmm. If you do that ac- exercise, let's say you said, do this. And I said, okay. Um, and I said, I did it and it was re- on my knees. Actually, I didn't really have any issues stability wise. You would say, Oh, interesting case. Not what I thought it was. Exactly. But for most people, I'm going to guarantee you, if you do that yeah. kind of halo on your knees, mm-hmm. um, test, mm-hmm. you're probably going to find out that you have some weaknesses you never really thought you had. Yeah. yeah. So if you are this interesting case and making me scratch my chin, then you definitely have to come into the clinic. So we have to do a full, full workup. But what might be happening is the opposite spectrum, where instead of overusing your feet, you don't know how to use your feet. Okay, like it sounds weird, but bear with me. There is more research coming out about how important our foot core is. I have a blog post about this too, and the research article linked. Okay, and that is kind of how my blueprint for runners to stronger feet workshop was created. Okay, I was having runners come into the clinic with these issues, I needed a way to strengthen their feet, but like a runner, because the normal, this grinds my gears sometimes, the towel scrunches and the marble pickups and the the therabands, they have a place. They're very important. They have a place. But for most runners, it is simply not enough. And so guided by research and my patients, I had to come up with a sequence of exercises to strengthen your forefoot. Okay. That being said, because Elizabeth is this special case, her symptoms are really cranky, okay? Now might not be the appropriate time to actually throw those foot exercises at her, okay? Because if she does those, it's going to feel bad. I'm going to spike her pain level way up. It's just going to keep getting inflamed. So that's going to be something we do further down the road that she might respond well to. But in the meantime, something still happens. There's still some kind of disconnect between that chain that some core work is always a good fallback. By doing the core work exercises, the exercise circuit almost becomes an assessment in itself. I see how you respond to it and I adapt to it and change it. This is really fascinating because, you know, if anybody who's listening, but like, why do my shins hurt? And you're talking about my feet might be too weak or too strong, or I'm over-relying or under-relying. And then you talk about my glutes and my core. And I think for a lot of runners, and I just had the same conversation with another physical therapist to talk about hip flexors. Um, uh, with Dr. Lisa Mitro and about how it's very confusing for some runners to have to look at a body part that they use when they run every single day, like your feet and say, I don't understand. I use my feet every single time I go for a run. How can they not be strong enough? It's, it's a phenomenon we are still trying to figure out. Cause like the hip flexor episode, a hip flexor, does it really need to be stretched? Is it really tight or is it actually weak? But how can it be weak if you're a runner and you're constantly using your hip flexor, right? The same thing with your feet, okay? Are they truly weak or are they being underused? Or is a teammate further up the chain? You guys can get this like tattooed on your foreheads further up the chain, okay? Is there somebody further up the chain not pulling their weight? Are they doing too much work, okay? So that's... I try to give very concrete examples, especially on your podcast, Elizabeth, because your your runners just 
vibe on them. They love them so much, okay? Um, but we have to remember that the human body, especially this movement of running, is a system. There's so many players to this this running movement. And we have to look at it holistically as a system and constantly keep that in mind when we're evaluating movement. So talking about muscle imbalances and I think, you know, most runners probably cop to not doing as much strength training as they should, or maybe having, you know, weak glutes or, or whatever the du jour muscle weakness is. Um, but are there biomechanical issues or some common gait things that you see with people who are more prone to shin splints? That's a good point. So I haven't specifically run into, not run into, I haven't been able to pinpoint saying, oh, you are overstriding, therefore you have shin splints because I don't have the capacity to really measure your running in an objective sense in the clinic. But what I have found is honestly, when you adapt your running form, adapt your stride on a whim or because of poor advice, that is honestly when shin splints happen the most. I actually have that right now with um, a high schooler. Um, he said, yeah, my coach told me to run this certain way. And I said, well, can you just like give me a sample? Just run without the random cueing he gave you. Came back. I how'd that feel? He's like, I felt a lot better. I mean, it still hurt, but it felt a lot better. And I was like, okay. So obviously I looked at him again and I saw there was like some feet kicking out, some funky waves. I'm like, okay. By getting the real you, by seeing the real you biomechanics, that tells me the underlying issue that I need to fix. Okay, so that's where it's this fine balance of correct your running form, yes, but always correct the underlying issue to the issue of your running form. Okay, because that's what can really be that precursor to shin splints. Real quick, though, that in there, another like biomechanics thing that can still affection splints is hip mobility. I always screen that with all my runners one way or another, it gets done. And that can be a surefire way to fix that up. So we talk about shin splints being this inflammation, medial tibial stress syndrome, this inflammation of the shin, the tissues in that shin area, that inner shin area. How is it possible that an inflammation, an injury can show up in one place when the cause is actually something else. Mm -hmm. This in short is why I have a job. This is why physical therapy exists. Okay. Because, um, this is so interesting because it dives into a little bit of pain science. Um, this is another patient I just had. She also has shin splints and she said, it hurt really bad. So I changed the way I was walking and it helped a little bit. And then I noticed it was hurting more. So then I stopped walking weird. And I started walking normal again. And then it felt better again. It's literally the same thing where our body is just trying to survive. Like our body is just adapting to pain and trying to avoid pain. And sometimes it ends up causing more issues down the road, leading compensations that don't need to exist anymore. And that's that key word, compensation, compensation. Your body will yeah. just kind of like, it's like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to make you do it. Or like, I can't do this. I'm overloaded. I'm going to make you do it. I'm going to make you do it. And then like it, that kicks it down the line, kicks it down the line, right? It's like, yeah, you do it. You do it. You do it. And all of a sudden, like the, the thing that's the least qualified to do the thing is the one carrying all this load. And no wonder you end up injured. <laughs> you just summarized everything I took 40 minutes to say. Thank you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. So if we have, we have runners with shin splints, um, first of all, I would say, I mean, obviously this is my advice as a run coach and I'm sure for you as a physical therapist too, is that if they pop up right away, do something, don't ignore them. Like if you have, if you feel that, Oh, I think I'm feeling what I'm, she's describing as shin splints and yeah, I ran again today and I, and I feel it and felt a little bit worse. Mm -hmm. Don't wait. Don't assume that they're going to go away with rest. Do something about it. Now, if that person is like, but what should I do? Short of going in to visit a physical therapist, what are some of the exercises or things that a runner can include? And maybe even, you know, prehab, preventative stuff that they can do to make sure that they are strengthening and mobilizing and engaging the right body parts for this. Yes. So that is honestly why I am deep diving and creating a, I'm trying to create a ton of 
Shinsplint resources. And you'll find all of that in my Instagram content on my blog. And again, that's why I want to serve our running community by being that resource. In case it's not quite time to go to PT, please, first thing you can do, shoot me a message. Shoot me a DM on Instagram. It is free. I am happy to help. I can at least waylay some fears of, oh my gosh, do I need surgery for my shin splints? No, no, we're, we're not there yet, honey. It's okay. Deep breaths. We'll get through this together. Okay. So, but the, if we talk about prehab first, kind of going in order, um, or preventative work in general, honestly, doing your strength work, doing your cross training, the sense of engaging with different movement, different sports. But one very specific way to do this, to specifically prevent shin splints and to work on if you currently have low-grade shin splints, is a lot of those kneeling exercises that I've been referencing. We talked about a tall kneeling halo, but an easier, even easier way to do this is do your upper body work on your knees, okay? So if you do any kind of bicep work, any kind of tricep extension, any kind of overhead press on one side or the other side, whatever kettlebell lifts you do overhead that is upper body related, do it on your knees, okay? Because you're going to take your feet out of the equation. You're not going to let them do the work. You're still getting a very effective workout. Everybody else still has to do their job. You're still lifting. You're still strength training. You're, this way you don't jump out of your skin because you got to move. You got to sweat. But this will immediately start to help teach your body, hey, Something, something's different. I need to adapt to this new stimuli, this new environment, because that's what PT is. It is about putting your body, putting you into a safe environment, but a different environment that creates different muscle mind connection. I am asking for more and different neuromotor control. And that's really the underlying factor that I'm finding in treating shin splints is I really need to work on neuromotor control with the eyes, which means, short version, is mind-muscle connection. So if you think about it, when you go to reach for your water bottle, you pick up your water bottle and you bring it to your mouth. It's usually not a problem, okay? But for individuals who have had a stroke, if they try to reach for the water bottle, they are shooting all the way to the left and all the way to the right. And if they finally grab it, then they fling the water bottle over their shoulder, okay? They don't have that mind-muscle connection, that neuromotor control. Now, for runners, it's it's not that drastic. Okay, I get it. But, 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 we still need to teach your body the right way to move and stop dumping all the work into your feet. I'm actually, I've already, I've already worked out today and I did strengths today and I was thinking, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe later this week I'll do my upper body work on my knees because, hey, you know what? Yeah. Because <laughs> for me, I'm thinking, okay, that'll be a time saver so I can do less core because I'm also doing core work if I do my strength training on my knees. Another way, another really good challenge. Oh, this humbled me. Okay. So it's just like a bilateral overhead press, which just means you have a dumbbell in each hand. You just overhead press these suckers over your head. Okay. I did that in a position called long seated. Okay. Some people won't be able to do this because of their backs, but you're basically sitting on the ground and both of your legs are out in front of you. Okay. I'm giving you the technical term because that way you can Google it and the right thing will come up. Okay. So long seated position. I did my, my arm work there. Oh my gosh. I almost fell over backwards. Like my core control. I didn't have my feet. I didn't have my glutes. All I had was my, my core, my literal core and my back. I was like, Oh no, my body doesn't know how to survive in this position. I need to spend more time here. Um, all right. So for somebody who is in the, let's say they have, uh, they, they have listened to this episode a little bit too late and they are past the prehab stage. They are in the rehab stage. I, I, as a run coach, usually she see shin splints as an acute mm -hmm. injury. So if somebody has had shin splints pop up in their life and they're thinking, all right, well, these are here now and I've taken a couple of days off and I want to make sure I'm doing the best thing I can what should they be doing to treat the shin splints that they currently yeah. have? No, this, this issue is very near and dear to my heart because I realize not all of us have one, the knowledge or the resources and have access to these resources. So my heart really goes out to those runners in that situation because I've seen how hard that is um, personally on them and just on the rest of their, their family and their life. So hence why I created these resources for you, okay? So what I would say... You don't have resources that you need. You need to 
and help these shin splints come along. We talked about rest, how important that is, maintaining your cross training because there is benefit to aerobic exercise, increasing blood flow, because with blood comes oxygen, comes nutrition, your nutrition to your to your body, right? Okay. Then this strength training that we keep mentioning, I call it strength because that's what we think of it, but it really is that neuromotor control that I'm talking about. And that is why then your your third step is to do that strength training on your knees or in that long seated position to reteach your body how to use your muscles correctly. Okay. By doing those exercises religiously for about a week or two, I would hope that you would then be able to slowly add back in some very gentle, slow running on some softer surfaces, or at least be able to walk without pain. Okay. Does that kind of answer the question there? Yeah. So basically it sounds like it's, it's more of the same as if you were prehabbing mm-hmm. when you it is rehab, true. because what I think is really interesting about, oh, you know, runners have weak hips and runners have poor mobility and runners, this, that, and the other, we talk about weakness and tightness and weakness and poor mobility. Um, I get questions about, I've been told my glutes aren't firing. What should I do? And first of all, I'm like, that's not me. Um, but second of all, you know, your glutes are firing. They are. Insert muscle group here is firing. Your glutes might be not as strong as we want them to be or whatever the muscle group is we're talking about. But it's more that they're not – the timing's off. Correct. They're firing at the wrong time. The, Correct. The reason the they're not doing their job is because they're not in sync with everything else. And that's when we talk about this compensation. The load keeps getting kicked – you know, can keeps getting kicked down the road mm-hmm. to the, you know, the downstream – or the upstream, whichever direction we're currently headed in muscle groups, like your muscles are, if they weren't firing, you wouldn't be able to walk. Correct. Correct. <laughs> like, and this is why it kind of bothers me when runners get a bad rep for weak glutes. I'm like, have you seen how many hills they run? Do you, can you do that? Because I can't do that. I don't think their glutes are weak. I think they can't find their glutes. I think they can't keep the volume turned up on their glutes in addition to the volume in conjunction turned up on their core, but I wouldn't call them weak. So I think what people are thinking, but you've told me, you know, it's my glutes and my hamstrings. Shouldn't I be doing a whole bunch of deadlifts and squats? And like, those are also important because they're important for you Mm -hmm. as a movement person, Mm -hmm. right? As a person who moves, do your lower body stuff, push, pull, hinge, carry, blah, blah, blah. Um, But like, it's more about the reason Marie keeps talking about neuromotor, neuromotor, neuromuscular, all of this is that we're trying to get things to fire in the correct order at the correct time. That's what it means when they do their job. Absolutely. And you can strength train all day and you can squat 325 pounds, but unless your body can access that glute strength when you're running, I mean, it's nice that you can squat that much, but can you use it? Can you functionally use it? So I do want to talk about chronic shin splints. Mm -hmm. Gotten a couple of questions over the years about chronic shin splints. And usually these questions break my heart because they usually are framed in this, in the guise of, um, I keep, I have this chronic injury that no matter what I do, I can't seem to shake. Is there something wrong with me? Am I not meant to be a runner? Yeah. And it's like, oh no, oh I no. Know. Yes, you are meant to be a runner. We can fix this. I'm not the yeah. person who can fix this, but it is fixable. Um, chronic shin splints. What's, what's going on there? That is for me, how I see chronic shin splints. It is that abnormal muscle loading, that poor neuromotor control that just, continues to backfire like it's not you have the plug in the wall and you have the, the socket for the lamp but they just they can't meet the, the voltage is not flowing and no matter what you do how much you beef up either side it's just it's not going to work it's not going to flow together and that's why I try to make those exercises so accessible and so easy to perform for any kind of runner with shin splints now if there's a chronic issue uh, and they're pretty strong, I might challenge them with a different kind of exercise. And I'll try to explain it over the podcast because this is definitely one of those where you need a video. And so bear with me here. Okay. But we all know what a bridge is. You might not know it by that name, but it can also be called a hip thrust. So I will describe it verbally. Okay. You are laying on the floor. Your feet are flat on the floor. Your knees are bent. Okay? Your hands are typically just 
flying somewhere. When you lift your butt off the floor, that is a bridge position, okay? You can then make that a single leg bridge position. I do that by bringing one knee to my chest. Okay, mind warp for a second, okay? This looks like running. This looks like running on your back, okay? You have one leg up, you have one leg down. You can even move your arms now. So it looks like you're running on your back. Can you hold this? Some people cannot hold this, okay? If you try it on the other side, can you hold it easier on that side? Or is it harder, okay? I'm not saying this is a diagnostic tool for shin splints because this is just a general running movement hold or holding of that movement, right? But if it truly is a chronic issue, if you can't hold this running position in any kind of position I put you in, have you earned the right to run upright, to run normally, okay? And I don't mean to say that at all in a um, diminutive way, not at all, but it's testing our own movement proficiency of can I hold this position? Have I earned the right to run far, to run fast? Or is my body truly trying to tell me, hey, we keep having these chronic issues because we're not ready for this yet, okay? And so that single leg position is just the beginning of a different shin splint sequence or shin splint exercise sequence that I'll give to runners. Once they earn the right, I kept telling my uh, younger track patient this, because he kept going for like the big 12 pound dumbbell. I was like, no, 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 no. You have not earned the right to use the 12 pound dumbbell. You're getting a little three pounder. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, well, can you do this and not fall over? Nope, falls over. I'm like, therefore, you have not earned the right to use the heavier weight, okay? And so what we do there in that single leg position is then you can do a chest press with it, okay? So let's, let's back up. Single leg bridge. One knee is to your chest, okay? The hand that is doing the chest press is in the hand that is opposite of the knee that is up, okay? The hand that is holding the weight is the hand opposite of the knee to your chest, okay? Now, obviously, when you bring that arm back down to a 90-degree position, you are limited by the floor. This is okay. This is okay. When you chest press, you're going to find that that hand with the weight should be relatively in line with your nose, okay? Then you come back to the starting position, okay? What that brief exercise does is, wow, one, it challenges your glutes. Can you stay up there? Your glute has got to be activated. Two, all of a sudden you are pushing and there's this anti-rotation battle going on in your core. Because I promise you, because I struggled with this, if I push that weight with that chest press and I can't hold it, boom, I fall over. So again, you have to earn the right to move that weight. You have to earn the right to move the weight and your body is weight. So you have to earn the right to run. Running is a skill. It is. It is. And it's hard. And I think that there's, because it's, we're humans and we evolved to chase antelope across the plain. We should think running is the most natural thing in the world. It is. I should be able to do But it's a natural this. skill that we have to work on. Exactly. It's still a skill. And I, I mean, mm -hmm. I think it can be helpful to think of running as a skill-based um, exercise, just like any like higher. I mean, if you've ever been to a track and field meet, Mm -hmm. Look at the field stuff and think yeah. about the skill that it takes to develop your skill for your field event. Mm -hmm. um, and then remember that it, it's basically the same thing for your running, right? These are hugely neuromuscular skill movement based um, events that take hours and hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of hours mm -hmm. to properly develop the control, the strength and control for and running is no different. It's just something that we don't think of as that way because we think, well, it's, we're humans. We run like everybody should be able to run. Yes. But that doesn't mean that everybody is going to be able to run on day one without needing to do some work first. Correct. Let me ask you about some things. We've gotten all the way to this end uh, end of this episode. And I want to talk about the things that don't fix shin splints. <laughs> well, <laughs> so one thing, let me tell you the thing that I hear about is calf raises. Oh, I have shin splints. So I did a whole bunch of calf raises. I, I mean, calf raises are good. Like you they should are probably good, do stuff, right? and, and again, this is backs up directly to another track patient I've been telling you guys about. Okay. So she said, Hey, I feel like this calf might be weak. I said, okay, Let's go test it out. So we, we went to the wall so you can hold on to something. And we did a specific number of calf raises. It is in the physical therapy literature. Um, we manual muscle test. And there's a functional 
way to test the strength of calves or yeah, of your calf muscle, and that is with calf raises. Okay, she passed five out of five, gold star on the right. On the left, she couldn't do all of them. She could not reach that 100% score. Okay, was it because she was weak? I don't know because she had to stop because there was pain. So she was limited by pain. I can't say she was limited by muscle weakness, okay? And that is why shin splints are so vague and the literature is so vague on all this because there are so many compounding factors that are going on, right? At the same time, the literature is saying, well, maybe it's because your plantar flexors are weak. Maybe the muscles that help you point your toes, which is what you do when you do a calf raise. So maybe I need to do calf raises with her eventually, but she has to be able to do them without pain first. If you have a PT that's telling you to work in like a 6 out of 10 pain, that's, that's not very nice. Like go, go find a new PT. I'm sorry. But that's, that's not a good day. Okay. So I can't hate on calf raises. I can't say they won't help. They truly might help prevent, but I can't say they are the solution. I have to say I have not yet had a shin splint patient do calf raises as an exercise in the clinic because I have found other more effective exercises for them. Okay. One of them is, I can't even verbally demonstrate or verbally explain this. Okay. But it's called galloping. If you look at developmental stages, you really want to look this up. Look on developmental stages and it's around the age of five. Um, you will see kids gallop. Okay. Like if you ever pretended to, because I grew up in Kentucky. Okay. So of course I pretended to ride a horse. The broom was now a horse. Okay. So you pretend you're riding a horse and you gallop around the house. Okay. That is, that is, a form of galloping, okay? When you look at that, it is a precursor to running. With one foot out, that is that knee is bent, the leg is back. I am actually effectively working the soleus with the leg that is bent and the gastroc with the leg that is straight. So in essence, I still am doing a calf raise-like exercise, but much more specific to runners because it's the precursor, precursor to the running movement. Does that make sense? Because we just went way in the weeds of movement science. I know in um, one of our previous episodes, you had this unbelievable progression, exercise progression on dealing with foot pain, right? Correct. And it was, you start, you start really almost non-specific. Like we're mm -hmm. just doing this kind of really isolated movement. And then as we went further and further and further, the exercise became more and more and more running specific. Correct. And when the goal is whenever treating running injuries or things that are preventing us from running the way we want to, is we want to end up in a place where we're doing an exercise that is running specific as in it's like you're running almost. Yes. And if we take all these exercises we talked about, we talked about starting on our knees. Okay doesn't look like running until you bring one knee up, okay? One knee is down, one knee is up. All of a sudden, you bring your arms up, you are now running on your knees, okay? Then you would go to that single leg bridge position we talked about. It looks like running, right? And all of a sudden, we have a chest press on the one side. That is your push arm, right? Because when you run, one arm is in front, that is your push. One arm is in back, that is your pull, okay? So all of a sudden, that looks like running. Once you pass those exercises, once you've earned the right in that running position, then I bring you into galloping and I say, okay, can you do this without pain or with minimal pain? And once they can gallop with four out of 10, three out of 10 pain, I say, okay, how can we work in this runner's lunge position, right? Because when you're not moving, it looks like a runner's lunge, okay? When you are moving, it is a gallop. So all of a sudden we start training there in that lunge position, which now incorporates your feet, okay? So we started with no feet. We slowly added feet. You found you earned your right to be on your feet. Now we're in a lunge. We strengthen you there. And what I, my favorite part in the clinic is making galloping non-painful within the span of like five minutes. Okay. With the right exercise, we can go from like a three out of 10 gallop, like pain when you're galloping. With the right neuromotor control exercise, we can take that pain away. It doesn't mean you can go run marathons now. It just means your body now has the capacity. It has the tools to access the strength and the control that you've built. And you can now start to add in a little more running to your regular program. The average runner going through shin splint treatment with you, how many sessions or weeks are we talking for the, I'm talking about, of course, I'm sure there are people who come in once or twice and they're like, yeah. fix. And there come some people who have some, some other issues we need to work through. But in general, somebody, the classic case presenting with shin splints, 
how many weeks until they're back running to a reasonable um, previous training load? It could be four to six weeks. And the reason I give a span like that is I've had some runners come in and it's been super uber chronic. Okay. There's one other high school runner um, and he's been there since January and it is now what is this, May, but he's getting better. Like he, he just get talk about running easy. I'm going to brag on him for a hot minute. He set a PR even while he's been recovering from shin splints. Okay. This guy is speedy. I can't believe it. I'm like, you show off. Okay. So anywho, aerobic development, <laughs> I kid you not. Oh my gosh. It's been so cool. I'm like I have Elizabeth in the back of my head while I'm treating. I'm like, this is amazing. Okay. So there's that. So your life isn't over. If you have to modify your training plan, just because you have shin splints, you're gonna have to modify it. You have to cut things back. But in the end, you too can PR because what you've done during that downtime in quotation marks is you've worked out the chinks in your armor. You come back bulletproof now. So you've built that foundation. Okay. He had a lot of foundation we had to build. We did it. He's great now. Um, another runner, he was running, he was racing with a seven out of 10 pain. I was like, dude, would you stop being crazy like that? Would you? No, stop. You are not racing. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm removing your racing card that is mine for at least two weeks. You do not get to race. And he was kind of sad, but he respected it. And now we're getting back into racing. Okay. So his is more about six to eight weeks with another, the other girl I mentioned that I have right now. Her case is a little bit different, but I'm hoping within four weeks, six weeks, we might be able to turn things around for her. So it depends on the chronicity of your shin splints and what all foundational stuff we got to work on. And also, as a as a coach, I never like to see my runners need to take a whole bunch of time off, right? I am I am the catch it early, treat it yep. early. If it depends on how early you went in for treatment, don't wait. And of course, I will echo what Marie said. Yes, I understand that you know seeing a a qualified sports physical therapist is is can be tough financially for a lot of yes. people, but there also are a lot of wonderful people on the internet who may not be able to give you specific diagnostic advice, Correct. but can at least point you in the right direction and say, well, based on my best experience, here's some resources for you and mm -hmm. maybe this will help. The, the worst part is telling one of my patients, so I need you to take a week off and their face just falls. I'm like, just bear with me. Okay. Okay. Like, this exercise I'm going to give you, these exercises, this circuit, this is your new workout, okay? Every time you want to run, just do this workout, okay? That's not, not exactly. There's there's more specific dosages of medicine, like movement is medicine, right? We do that more specifically. But I'm like, that intensity you bring to your running, give me that intensity in the clinic. Bring that passion to me, and we can go far. I will say as a coach, if I am – I am not ever angry or mad or disappointed no. if an injury happens. We've all been injured. I've been injured a whole bunch. Like mm -hmm. it happens. You can do everything right and still get injured. It is nothing to do with like, just, it just happens. Right. So if you yes. runner are working with a coach, however old you are, if you are a high schooler, college or an adult runner and you have a coach yep. and you are currently experiencing an injury or even a, a minor grade, like, I think something's not quite right, but I wouldn't call it an injury. Um, please don't be afraid to tell them. Like we are here to keep you safe and train you yes. in a way that is safe for you. And I'll also say a huge red flag that your coach is a dick is that if they don't listen to you, if you tell them that you're in pain or they don't modify your training, even when your PT says you need to. Yeah, I, I have a couple of runners actually dealing with that right now. And it is really challenging as a healthcare provider because my I'm trying to help you, but another person, maybe they don't care as much. Maybe they don't understand. I have to give them the benefit of the doubt, but the, but the problem is that the runner is not being supported on the other end of the spectrum. So as much as I pour into them, as much as I fine tune their body and try to make them stronger, if the other team member is not willing to cooperate and is kind of browbeating this runner, why don't you run? Why aren't you participating? Why aren't you racing? And they're like, because I hurt, but they don't have the, they don't have the, the two feet to stand on. They're scared to look up to the superior and tell them, hey, I don't feel comfortable doing this. Like that's that's obviously a topic for a whole other day, but that is the importance of having a, a good running coach that really cares. Yeah, and whether you're a coach again, I and I see this sometimes on on 
you know, in team sports, obviously, if, if there's a team and the coach thinks maybe that what they're doing is the right thing by trying to foster a team environment, get everybody to participate. Like there are other mm-hmm. ways that you can participate in your team environment. Like you can be at practice. You don't yeah. necessarily, if you're, if you are injured though, you don't have to do the workout, but you can still be there, right? There are other ways to still be active in the team without needing to then do all the workouts. If you're not supposed to be doing the workouts because you're injured. Absolutely. <laughs> fascinating stuff. Well, I feel like people have heard us ramble about shin splints for long enough now. Um, it sounds like though, like you have a bunch of resources that you're developing about shin splints that I feel are going to be really relevant and hopefully illustrative, uh, visually. (laughs) I hope so. So quick, quick rundown. But so I, I run a weekly blog and so for four weeks, I will have a new shin splint blog coming out that will cover a variety of different topics. If you listen to this podcast, Obviously, some of those blogs will be very familiar, but repetition is the mother of skill. We all need to hear it multiple times, okay? There will also be resources available that I'm making on Instagram, some reels that will demonstrate some of these exercises, not all of them, because some of them are not all appropriate, but there will be visuals that way too, okay? If you're interested in that foot strengthening workshop, because research has found strong feet can help prevent shin splints, strong feet are so important, working your foot core, you can find that workshop available on my website, drwhitfit.com, all one word, okay? I just want to pour all these resources into you guys, and if you don't know where to start, I am a resource. DM me on Instagram at, literally, at drwhitfit, so it's dr.wit, w-h-i-t-t, dot fit. DMing me is free. Chatting me, chatting with me is free. I just want to hear from you, hear your story, be that ear, because sometimes people just don't feel listened to. They feel that they've tried to come to their coach about it, they tried to go to their, their PT about this, and they're just not feeling heard. So I will hear you. Share with me, and I will try to point you in the right direction. If I feel that you have some low-grade issues that maybe I can help with, then I'll invite you to come work with me. I, I would love that. If I feel you are appropriate for physical therapy, you've got to get your butt in the clinic. I'll give you a loving but a firm kick in the butt to go to PT. And I will link all of those resources in the Thank show you. notes. You can find, follow Dr. Witt and learn from her. Um, I have to say, every time that we chat, I have the urge to get down and do whatever exercise that you have like described. Like, I want to do this like, you know, chest press in bridge because that just sounds really good. <laughs> I mean, after we hop off, we can do it real quick. I mean, we're, we're on we're on Zoom. Might as well. Five pound dumbbells. Do you think I've earned the right? <laughs> we'll find out. I, I think so. Oh. Considering everything else you do, I, I have a feeling you might be okay. <laughs> Dr. Marie Witt, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. This is a great conversation. Thank you. It is always an honor to be here. Thank you for sharing me with your audience. You all are wonderful. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. 